um, for the sermon. Uh, in case you didn't want to watch the rest of the service, just you know, wait to the sermon. Uh, but uh, um, the uh, the number of people who actually view that is usually somewhere around twenty. So you know that's that's pretty significant, I think, in, in terms of you know people who may or may not have been in the service, and you know so hopefully that's helpful. Let's uh, open. We've got uh, Psalm eighty four there, and uh, this is from the English Standard Version translation. And I'd, I'd like to start with this because. I think it's important for us to think about what we do in the, um, the, the different helping uh, types of, of positions in terms of, you know, what are we even here for? You know, what, 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 what brought us together, uh, what gathers us in order to, uh, to worship and such? Got louder. Um, it helps if I turn the microphone on. Worship service, Bible study, it's me and microphones. That's what it comes down to, yeah. All right, so Psalm 84. Uh, there are handouts in the back if you didn't get a chance to get one. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And that word, Selah, um, there's debate about exactly what this, this means, um, but it's usually interpreted that there would be a musical interlude there to think about what we just read. So it, it, just think about this for a second. How lovely is your dwelling place? That's church, right? That's what he's talking about. Actually, it would be the temple for the, the writer of the... But it's this idea, this is something that's pretty awesome to be able to come to God's house and to hear the word and, and, and to participate in his worship. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Isn't that how you feel every Sunday? I just can't wait to get to church. Sure thing. Not always, though, right? And so I think that there's something that's helpful here to say, this is something special, people. There's something important going on here. This is good. In my heart and my flesh, they, they sing for joy. Mm. You know, even, even creation, you know, the sparrow finds a home, the swallow a nest. And where is that for us? It's at your altar, O Lord of hosts. That's, that's that place that we find our home. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. He continues. Blessed are those whose, whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As, you, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. Oh, Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And then Selah. So there's this time to meditate again. You know, so this idea of, you know, blessed are those whose strength is in you. Um, that, that word isn't just, you know, kind of like, you know, when the kids come up and I put a bless you type of a thing. Yeah. Question. It talks about Zion. We're going to get to that in just a second here. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's, it's another name for Jerusalem, basically. But it's, it's bigger than that, okay? So let me, let me come back to that in just a second. So this idea that we're, we're blessed, that we're here, that our strength comes from what's happening when we gather in God's house and whose heart are the highways to, to Zion. And Zion, you can almost always just say Zion equals Jerusalem. But it's bigger than that in that Jerusalem is the place where God's people worship. That's where the temple was. And so, you know, when we look for, for where is God, we tend to look at word and sacraments. That, that he is, you know, I mean, he's everywhere, but he's in a specific place for us, like when we go, come to the Bible or when we come to the, the Lord's Supper, that he has promised to be there specifically for us. And so the temple was kind of like that for the people of Israel. 
when Solomon dedicated the temple, it says that a big cloud came into the temple, filled it. And it's this sign. God is here, right? And so when it says that, that uh, the heart, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, it's saying we have this desire to go to where God has promised to be for us, to do his work in our lives. And as they go through the Valley of Baca, this is a desert region. Uh, they make it a place of springs. There's something about the life of faith that just brings life to all around us. And we, we see this, this life and this glory. The early rain also covers the pools. and It's just this image of, of a life-giving experience in, in terms of what happens when we come into God's presence. And they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion, in his presence, in his house. So, O God of hosts. Um, when it says, O Lord God of hosts, the Hebrew there, um, for those of you who have done liturgy for a long time, is Lord God of Sabaoth. You remember hearing that or singing that at some point? Um, it, it's part of the communion liturgy, but we usually just do hosts. And... Uh, it doesn't really capture the, the fullness of, of that word, Sabaoth. Uh, when it says the Lord God of hosts, it's the Lord God of the hosts of the armies of heaven. It's, you know, God is the commander of the armies of all of these angels. That's kind of the image that, that's, that's connected with that idea. And it's one of glory and power. You know, that's the one that we're calling out to hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Because we're not the first people to walk this path. And we're people who are holding on to the promises that were given to people like Jacob. That there would be a Savior who would come and atone for our sins. And then he says, Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who, are, who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So this idea of God protecting us and, and that he looks on us. That we're, we're these anointed, these people that he has, has called into his presence. And notice, better is a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's a sense that it is good to serve in God's house. Even just, let me open the door for you. And this is kind of what we're, we're talking about here. That there are aspects of our worship where you serve to help people encounter God by kind of opening the door for them, so to speak. And that's kind of the idea that I want to pursue as we, we uh, go through this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the folks who are gathered here and for those who will watch this later. And I pray, Lord, that you would um, bless this time and that you would help us to rejoice in this place that is set aside for your worship, this place of uh, the house of the Lord where we come to receive your gifts and to receive your promises. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us by your spirit to live as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So there, there are some things about public worship that are really generic that I want to hit on. Um, this idea that when we come to church, whether you are um, a pastor or whether you are an assisting minister or whether you are the reader for the day or whether you are just sitting in the pews um, that are good you know, to prepare for being here. Um, and one is that we would, would pray. We should pray before we come to church. You know, this is all stuff that we do in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so 
it makes a lot of sense for us to pray for the Holy Spirit's work. That should be, I got a typo there. Um, like microphones, I'm good with typos. Um, uh, it's the Spirit's work in ourselves, right? In the Catechism, uh, Luther's small catechism, when he explains the work of the Holy Spirit, he says, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens. The, this faith stuff is all stuff that God gives and is doing in us. So it, it's good throughout the week to, to pray that you know, when we come to church, let your spirit be upon me, but also your neighbor's. You have to pray for one another, that, that the Spirit would be at work in the lives of, of the congregation. And boy, oh boy, if this is all about the Spirit's work, doesn't it make sense that maybe it'd be good for you to pray for me? Um, I, good, because I need it. Um, I, uh, I would, in my, my former congregation, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Do you know how many shut-in calls I did during those 10 years? Next to none, yeah. Shut-in visits for the elderly? Next to none. It just wasn't part of what I did. Um, and even when I became the senior pastor at the church, the former senior pastor, he loved doing shut-in visits. And uh, so he even, even then, he did the bulk of that you know, each month. And so when I came here, I had a really hard time you know, even now, um, you know, Becca and I will talk through my schedule. She will make phone calls and put it on my calendar. Because if it's not on my calendar, I don't do it. I will find other things to do. It's not, it's not one of my, you know, I know it's important. So I have, you know, make sure that it happens. But it's not one of those things that I'm like, I can't wait to do this each week. Just being honest. And uh, I had a shut-in who really took me to task one time because it had been too long. And I, I said, you know, fair enough. Pray for me to be a better pastor. And yeah. shouldn't you just, you know, gut yourself up and you know pull yourself up by your boot? No, no. God changes people. Yeah. And uh, you know, so especially you know, the sermon's really bad one week. Oh God, give him a better sermon for next. <laughs> How about the organist? Makes sense to pray for the organist leading us in music and in worship. How about the people who prepare the bulletin? There's a whole process that's involved with preparing for what happens on Sunday morning. Um, you know, Becca gets everything laid out. I'll edit what, what's there, but hymns have to be chosen, and then it all has to be assembled. And oh, by the way, the pews get organized. There are people who come in and do that. It's, you know, usually retired ladies who come in on Friday and do that. Um, the candles get refilled. There's oil in those. All of those things. You know, it's, it's people who volunteer and who come in. Um, and and you know, probably should be praying for Bob and for the children's message. That, you know, God will lead and guide that. And so what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves in the congregation for confession and absolution. Um, you know, we're going to come in and confess our sins. Is it maybe good you know, to think about what we have going on in our hearts and minds before we do that? You know, before we sit down in the pew? Actually, there might be some things driving in on Sunday morning, right, Peter? Never happens. You know, no arguments on the way in or anything like that. Um, for the Spirit to lead us to hear the word and to, to receive the sacrament. And then, and then there are people who serve in the service on top of just the normal things that go about your, your, your life. Um, whose responsibility is it to greet people who visit here? All of us. Yeah. Now, we have had people that we call greeters meet people at the door. That has not happened since COVID. Um, I expect that at some point it will come back, and I, I hope. Uh, but 
if somebody sits down, you know, it's just a matter of showing hospitality, right? And, and what if... What's that? The ushers are kind of doing some of that, absolutely. They did some of it before, too. You know, because they're kind of the face of the congregation helping people out. And, yeah, absolutely. But if you see somebody sitting down in the pew that you don't recognize, you know, good to say hi, right? If you see they don't have a bulletin and they're confused, maybe helpful to, oh, do you need a bulletin? You know, or you can tell they're looking around or they have a little one and they, uh, you know, it's pretty clear there's, you know, the kid's doing the potty dance. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, the potty dance? I'm not going to demonstrate. But my kids were really good at it. Hey, do you need the restroom? It's right down there. You know, that type of a thing. Just, you know, being aware of the people around us. How important is the fellowship that we have as a congregation? You know, people that you know. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ. I told the story uh, in the sermon a couple weeks ago about um, uh, the service that I do here with some of the senior citizens. It's, it's literally 15 minutes. And often they're here for almost an hour. Because they enjoy each other and they chat. That's important. It's an important part of our life together. And then we have some specific roles that people help out with to make sure that everything is set up properly. I'd be willing to bet that at some point while we were talking, um, you saw a nice lady come out and she's setting things on the altar. Uh, That's Peggy. Um, and uh, did you know that stuff on the altar doesn't just appear by itself? Um, there are a, a whole great big group of people who help with altar care. And this is, there, there are so many people who help with this. Uh, it's, it's actually scheduled for a year and uh, it's two weekends per year. Um, you know, so there's cleanup stuff. There's changing the candle that's, you know, is hanging up there, setting up the communion. They get the flowers that are out there and get those set up there. Um, and there are other things. And if that's something that you're interested in, um, I'd be glad to get you in touch with Cindy. I'm sure you can give her a call yourself if you like. And uh, she can show you how to do all of it. Um, you know, and... Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that's important about all of this, too. It, it, what I'd like to do is connect you to somebody who will show you. you know, I, I, to, to walk with somebody. So in the discipleship board, the, uh, a couple weeks ago or whatever, I think that's where we were talking about, like, if you're, if you're assisting, you know, the assisting minister usually does the, the prayers. If you're learning how to do it, maybe you have two people up there with me. And they take turns. Just getting used to the idea that this is how we do this. And then when communion comes, maybe one does one side and one does the other. Just to kind of get a sense of how does this go. So you'll, you'll hear me mention different people. Um, and, uh, uh, and none of this is intended to be, um, you know, figure it out on your own. There are plenty of people who, who uh, would be glad to work on these things. Um, with you. Um, counters. You know, we take an offering every, every week. Right? Somebody counts that. And, uh, um, and, and it's a huge blessing when there's a volunteer or a couple of volunteers that do that. They count it, they record it. Um, often happens after the service on Sunday. Often not. Often like Monday or Tuesday, right? But we do want to get it done early in the week because it needs to be deposited and, and, and all of those things. If, uh, if that's something that sounds fascinating to you because it sounds horribly boring to me, just being honest, I mean, we have different gifts, right? Um, you know, you talk with Dave Lutz. You talk with Becca, too. But you've talked with Becca about all of these things, actually, because she's the expert. Um, but uh, um, Dave Lutz is in charge of stewardship for the congregation, and... Uh, he helps us uh, with the yeah, counting and things like that. Uh, we had a little conversation at the beginning of this about, you know, how, oh, do you want this video recorded? Um, and uh, Jeffrey jumped in on that. That's not something that usually is, you know, sprung on people, uh, but the Cadelkas are longtime experts at this, and so that was something that was easy for them to, uh, uh, for Jeffrey to set up for us and everything. 
Um, have you ever been in the service and all of a sudden things got too loud? You know, there's like a big feedback or something. It never happens here. We never have problems with our technology here. And when we do, it's usually my fault. Um, but uh, um, you know, these things happen. Somebody is up there at the board to you know, adjust some sound levels. Uh, at the early service, they, uh, they stream the service and everything so that um, the 30 to 50-ish, does that sound about right? People who watch it every week, um, you know, they can see that service. It's something that's important, but it can't happen without people. Um, for the most part, you know, it, it's pretty much plug and play, and, uh, um, and pretty straightforward. Um, we're, and we're actually, uh, we've got some people who are working on trying to make it even easier. Um, so uh, if, if that's, if playing with computers, Peter, I'm looking at you again. <laughs> um, if that's something that is, uh, is interesting to you, you know, Joe and Jeffrey can help you out. Um, now, these are some of the people that uh, get into the nitty-gritty of the service itself. There's a person every Sunday, if, uh, if everything's going right, who uh, is involved uh, the worship coordinator. And uh, as it may seem obvious from the name, they coordinate. In other words, they just make sure that people show up and help out where necessary and, you know, those types of things. Now, it's good for that person to arrive 15 to 20 minutes before the service so that they're kind of informed and they're aware of who is here and, and things like that. When, when uh, people sign up to help with services, there's an email that goes out on Friday. So the worship coordinator would be somebody who would... Um, Take the contact information that is, it's embedded in the, uh, um, in the email, isn't it, Becca? Or do they look them up? No, it's there. Yeah, the phone numbers are there. And, you know, and so the idea is that if you're the worship coordinator for a particular service, you would call you know, the, uh, um, the assistant, the reader. Do they call the acolyte, too? Yes. The acolyte. And uh, you just, you know, hey, just want to remind you, you know, you got any questions or anything like that? Good. See you tomorrow. And so that's what I mean by coordinating. Um, and uh, um, you know, they just kind of oversee to make sure that things are, are, are taken care of. Things like, you know, the windows being opened. Um, the lights being turned on. Now, honestly, a lot of this stuff is usually done even before the worship coordinator gets here because somebody else arrives long before... Um, and uh, and uh, I often have a lot of that stuff done. Um, but uh, it's always good to have somebody double-checking. You know what I mean? I forget things in the car. Um, one thing that's new that I would like for the worship coordinator to start doing is uh, we have these series of candles that are up here. And the actual lights all of the candles. Although if there is no worship, or if there is no acolyte, maybe the worship coordinator steps in and, you know, lights them. I would like for the worship coordinator to start lighting this candle um, 
a little bit before the service, kind of the 10 to 15 minutes before the service starts. And there's a couple reasons for this. Um, this is called a Christ candle, and it's a, a symbol of the presence of Christ with us. Um, and, and so it, it, it's good to have lit, you know, before the service begins. And then the idea would be that the acolyte would come out and light their, um, I just call it a fire stick. I'm sure there's some kind of fancy name for it, but, you know, the snuffer thing that the, the acolyte has, um, you know, they can light it off of there. But it, that is also the hardest candle for the kids to light. There is a big difference between a sixth grader and an eighth grader. Um, and sometimes, you know, just within a family, you know, some people just are not that tall. So that's it's kind of the hardest one for people to light. But if there's a candle, if it's already lit, it's really easy for the acolyte to come out and light the, um, the snuffer from there. And, uh, and then, so that would be the first one that would be lit. Uh, and then they can light all the other candles, and then it should be the last one that's, that's put out. Um, but uh, but that's, that's, that's new. So um, the worship coordinator is the one who comes up and gives communion to me. And, and to the other uh, assistants that are up there. Um, I know that for some people, that's another kind of point of discomfort. Um, I mean, really, you're just handing us the wafer. This is the body of Christ. Do you have to turn it into the body of Christ? You do? No, no. You know who else has to turn it into the body of Christ? Me. No. I just say the words. God does the work. Um, and, uh, you know, so, you know, this is the body of Christ. The, the wine, I think that that's actually the one that people are sometimes a little bit more intimidated by. We help. It's, it's pretty rare anymore that, you know, people don't reach out and touch the chalice. When I was a kid, you know, you'd get swatted for doing that. Um, seriously, you didn't touch the bread either. You know, you would kneel down. Does this sound like what you experienced? Yeah. You, know, you would kneel at the altar, and the pastor would put it right in your mouth. Um, you know, and, and that, was, that was how it was then. And, you know, if, and then the, the cup as well. But it's very normal for people to reach out and help you to pour, um, you know, to get a sip. So, and it's big enough. It's not, it, you know, sometimes with a little cup, it's hard to, you know, make that pour. But with the big one, um, they can help you, and, and it's, it's a lot easier. And you're just, it's the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, and then you just kind of hang out up there to coordinate. Oh, you're running out of wine. You ran out of the grape juice. Here, here's the tray. You know, that type of a thing. Um, and then at the late service, this is a person who will go around and make sure that all the windows are closed, that the lights are turned off. Um, don't worry about the soundboard and the, and the video camera. Um, I end up having to do that usually anyhow. Uh, and then, uh, you know, that the doors are locked. And then the other occasional thing is that this person helps with uh, baptisms. You know, and, uh, yeah? Joseph and I, the worship coordinator, also does the phone. That's oh, the, the prayer request, yeah. And it's always in the outreach box, and you just turn it on, and you look at the text-free app to see if there have been any texts. Yeah, we have a dedicated phone. Um, that receives the the, uh, the prayer requests, right? And so the worship coordinator gets that phone. Um, it's in a particular mailbox in there. And uh, would Becca or I help you to find that? Absolutely. And uh, and then the idea is then you would forward those messages to, to me. Um, and uh, I have my cell phone up there. I get those text messages usually, um, and, uh, and then I you know, add those to the prayers for Sunday. Um, if you were, like, really interested in being a worship coordinator, but you're like, the baptism thing, I don't, you know, I'll, we'll take care of that that day. The, this stuff is it's really easy. So, any questions about the worship coordinator thing? Then the assistant minister. Um, the assisting minister, uh, that's the person that reads the prayers and actually helps to distribute the Lord's Supper to the rest of the congregation. And uh, 
in some ways, this is this is pretty straightforward, pretty easy, you know, because uh, you receive the prayers in the email and write it, so you have the opportunity to read them through beforehand. This is part of how we serve the church. We're, we're actually taking the prayers of God's people, you know, offering them up to God, and uh, uh, and then you know, you're the one that gets the offering plate and comes forward and sit on that little shelf there. Um, and uh, helps to distribute the Lord's Supper. Um, there is, there's been a question recently about where to stand. Um, because during COVID, we've been doing the lectern over here. Um, actually, I should probably name some parts. Um, this over here is called the lectern from the Latin to read. It's where the scriptures are read from. That's the altar. I sometimes call this whole area up here the altar. But that specifically is the altar. And then the pulpit. I don't actually know the uh, etymology of the word pulpit, but it's you know, where we preach from. And, uh, and so uh, people have taken to reading the prayers from the, uh, uh, the lectern. Um, I was talking with uh, our seminarian beforehand. I'm sure and confident that there are pastors out there who would tell me that I'm doing it wrong uh, because prayers should be read from the altar and not from the lectern. Um, but I'm pretty sure God hears our prayers wherever we are, and I'm not too fussed. If you want to be at the altar next to me, groovy. I'm fine with that. If you are more comfortable with some distance between us, Groovy. I'm fine with that. You know, that whatever works for you at that point. Um, you know, so, you know, if you want to read from London, if you want to read from uh, the, the prayers from the, the altar. You know, the, the. Michael, why should people get uptight about these things? I don't know. You know, it's just, we're just going to be at peace. So, Joseph. Oh, there you go. Scaffold or platform? I know. When I hear scaffold, I think of hanging. I'm not comfortable with that. <laughs> uh, anyhow, that's a whole different level of pressure. The uh, older pulpits, if you go to Europe, is nothing in the older church that I came from. Um, that was actually higher up. Yeah. Higher up. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful church in Frankenmuth, Michigan, a big Lutheran church, and that you know pulpit is good ten feet up in the air. Yeah, and I know that there's a lot of churches in in, uh, uh, in Europe that are like that too. I mean, it's 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 just um, you know you're in a place that didn't have microphones, right? So how do you project sound? You get the person up high, you know, and uh, and then they speak loudly and. It's amazing how well it carries, actually. So, yeah. Um, but the name, do you think they put a trap door in there? <laughs> in, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, ushers. Uh, I say ushers, uh, but it's been an usher uh, for quite a while. Uh, we used to have two, two ushers at a time, and uh, hopefully eventually we'll get back to that. Um, but this is another person that arrives beforehand. Um, the usher is the one who would usually actually open the windows. You know, so the worship coordinator makes sure that it happens, but it's usually the ushers that do it type of a thing. Um, and uh, turns on the fans. Um, there are light switches in the back on the pillars, and there are two rheostats that are back there. Are you familiar with that word rheostat? A knob? Um, and uh, uh, so there's one that turns on the lights for the sanctuary or for the, uh, um, the altar area. Uh, and then there's one that does these fans. But we also have a big exhaust fan. Um, and uh, that is just around the corner. There's a gray electrical box in there with a timer. And there's just a little switch that you just push over to the side. And... Uh, and if you're really quiet, 
Can you hear the hum? Because it's a big, big behemoth of a, of a fan. And it's, it, you can really feel like if you, uh, if you were standing in here before it was on and you were standing at the doorway and they turned that on, you would feel the air come through. And it really, it really moves a lot of air out of here. Um, and uh, so the usher helps to distribute the bulletins, helps direct people to seats if they want. Um, that's generally not a problem for us on a given Sunday, but maybe like on Easter or Christmas, you know, helping people find places to sit, um, directs people to what they're looking for. Um, you see some family, a little kid, and, oh, are you looking for a nursery? You know, not that they have to take their kids to the nursery, but, you know, sometimes when they're visiting, they're looking for that. Uh, restrooms, you know, th- that, that type of thing. It, does this, am I blowing anybody's mind yet with the things that, uh, yeah, none of this stuff is, is hugely difficult. It's just, it's just hospitality stuff. Um, one of the things that the ushers uh, do, they count the number of people in attendance. So this is one of those little logistical things. I'm asked from time to time, do we take our attendance off of uh, people signing in or somebody counting the people? It's by people being counted. If we did it by people signing in, uh, we'd probably have half the attendance. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, so sometime after the service has begun, uh, sometimes you'll see them uh, coming up the, the side or something and making a count of, of, of who's in here. Um, and then they, there's a checklist that they put those numbers on, and that goes out of Becca's desk. Um, the usher is the one who brings the offering forward to the assisting minister, uh, then ushering people forward for communion, which is pretty much just kind of stepping back a little bit at a time, right? You know, especially while we're doing this in a continuous line. Um, when, uh, when we finally get back to having people commune at the altar, there's a little bit of counting that you've got to do then, you know, to not send up too many people. But you know what happens if you send up too many people? They, they, they stand here and wait. Isn't that awful? It's, it's just not a big deal. What's that? Or they squish in. Sometimes that happens. Uh, I've been known to say, pretend like you love each other. Get close, you know. Um, and one other thing that the usher does that's actually really important is the usher is usually the last person to commune, and it's really good and helpful if the usher lets me know that there are people in the pews who need to be communed in the pew. Even if the usher thinks that I already know, it is good to tell me. You see how I am with microphones, right? Is it on? Is it off? I can be a little bit of a scatterbrain. And so it is good to say there are two people who need to be communed. Oh, God. You know, so, um, and uh, occasionally the usher would help to set up uh, chairs if there's overflow. Um, really, the biggest thing, being friendly and helpful, especially for guests. And then after worship, they go through and they'll straighten up the pews. You know, people leave things behind, you know, Find a purse in here, maybe you take it, you put it on um, the desk in there, um, kind of lost and found type of thing. Um, they leave behind their bulletins, you know, they're taken to the recycling, uh, that kind of thing. And then, um, you know, after the late service closes the windows. And then the ushers, or excuse me, the reader, um, should arrive before the service for my peace of mind. Um, it's one of the, we try to make sure that everybody's here beforehand, uh, but uh, uh, one of the things I do ask readers to do is to practice reading beforehand. Um, the readings are always in the, uh, the bulletin. You know, you've got those uh, green sheets uh, with the announcements. Um, up in the upper left-hand corner, those are next week's readings, and you can look them up. We use the English Standard Version, you know, and so 
know, I encourage you to read these anyhow, but this is one of those things that if you're going to be the reader, it, it's good to read these things out loud beforehand, um, you know, to practice it. Because, you know, this is about helping people experience God's presence, right? Helping them to receive their word. It's, it's uncomfortable when people stutter and stammer over words. Um, it's actually communicating a message. It's good to kind of have a sense of the flow of the reading. You know, um, now, don't get me wrong. If a person just stutters and stammers because of that's who they are, I'm like, hey, great job, fantastic. But for most of us, uh, honestly, if you just take a few minutes to practice a couple times, you know, we can do well. We can do better. So, um, did that make sense, what I just said there? Those are also easy on Yes. Yeah, yeah. You, you'll actually, um, you, when you send the email, it's actually the whole script, right? Yeah. Um, what I want to go back to is I don't want to limit anybody from reading. Um, you know, sometimes we have kids that come up and read, you know, we have different gifts, different skill levels, and the like. What I'm saying is that this is important enough that a little bit of practice, you know, is good thing. So if you get up there and stutter and stammer, you know, and all pastors, are, no, I'm thankful that you did it. By the way, pay attention to me because, you know, sometimes I stutter and stammer when I read too. You know, it's it's not about that. It, it's about being prepared. Um, you know, and, and communicating the word. We want people to, you know, we, we want to remove the barriers that, that might make it more difficult for people to receive what's being read. Does that make sense? By the way, the Bible was written in different languages. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew uh, and parts of it in Aramaic. Uh, and the New Testament was written in Greek. There are words in these languages that come across mostly in names that are horrible. If you ever, you know, kind of want to stick somebody, uh, you, you sign them up. It's usually the first Sunday of Christmas because it's Jesus' genealogy. It's all names. I'm like, oh, I'm sign my kid's been really mouthy. I'm going to sign him up for that one. You know, yeah, there are words that show up that are, that are difficult, they're uncomfortable. And sometimes you go, how in the world do I pronounce that? Just the other old college track. <laughs> yeah, well, one of my favorite answers is you pronounce it confidently. Because <laughs> for the most part, you know, people aren't going to know. They might be like, I've been pronouncing that wrong my whole life. Or um, Um, you also have resources. Uh, apparently, Google. Google. I Google one reading, and there were five different names. Yeah. And I practiced it over even five minutes before I mentioned I'm pretty good at pronouncing these things. And I'm always glad to help. You know, and I have people who will come up and they'll say, How do I do this? Right? How do I say this? Um, you know, and you can contact me before Sunday morning. I'm, I'm glad to help with that. Um, there are other people in your life, in the congregation, who are knowledgeable. You know? It's okay to ask. Um, this person should come up right at the end of the hymn of praise. Uh, I'm kind of weird about the whole dead time. Uh, like the hymn ends, and then the person kind of casually strolls forward. I'm like, let's go. Um, I, I like things to move one thing into the next thing. Um, and, uh, and I'm not saying I'm right about that. Okay? It's just me. And I happen to be the one who's up here. Um, so uh, right toward the end of the hymn of praise, I'd like for that person to come forward and, and be in place to, uh, uh, to read. Um, and then uh, those two readings, the readings are always in the bulletin itself on the Sunday. 
If that's what you want to read from, bring that with you. Otherwise, that uh, uh, prints these. And uh, from where you're at, can you tell the difference between the font size? Um, this is a little bit bigger and a little bit easier to, uh, to, to just read, especially for those of us who uh, are having difficulty with seeing things. Um, but uh, um, either way, it, it's fine. It's, it's completely up to you in terms of how you would like to do that. So, you know, kind of theologically speaking, you know, sometimes people are like, well, pastor, member, you know, layman, you know, who should do this stuff? You know, there are some things that I do that um, we don't ask lay members to do. You know, consecrating the Lord's Supper, doing baptisms. This is some of the stuff that, you know, you've called me to do this work. But there are other parts of the service that, you know, it's really okay if somebody else does these things. Actually, could somebody else baptize a baby and that be valid? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so we do this, you know, for the sake of decency and order is usually the way we talk about it. Um, the church calls and appoints a pastor to do these parts of the work, to speak those words of forgiveness and, and all of those things, you know, that... You know, that you can have hopefully some confidence, not because it's me, but because it's the person that was called to do that job, that what's being promised is actually being delivered. But consider, you know, distributing the Lord's Supper. If I did that by myself, how would we do that? Well, you'd come forward and I would do the bread. And then you go back around, and you know. Then you, you know, those who want the uh, uh, the common cup could come forward, and then the, those who want the. There's just some practicality in these things. And with the readings, is it a good and and blessed thing to be able to speak God's word to somebody? But you know, you don't have to like come up with a sermon or something like that. Absolutely. Is it good to help people? when they come into God's house to feel comfortable and to be able to engage in the worship service. Yeah. And, and that's not just a pastor's job. It's a congregation's job. The ministry belongs to the congregation, and then the congregation entrusts that work to the pastor. doesn't mean it's not your work anymore. It just means that you've given me a bigger piece of that to make sure that it takes place. And so what I'm saying is that together, um, what happens on Sunday morning goes much more smoothly and it's more welcoming for people when we do these things together. Make sense? Any questions or anything like that? In that case, I want to take us back to Psalms again. And uh, for those of you who have been coming to my Romans Bible class, I'm taking us backwards a little bit. Um, I have, uh, over the summer, I was introduced, well, I, I've known about the Psalms of Ascent. That's uh, a portion of the book of Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And there's, there's some question about what exactly, why were these Psalms written? So some people think that these were psalms that were sung as people were going up to Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's on top of a hill, um, to, to come for worship. And I think that there's some, some good reason to think that. Some people think that this was something that was sung uh, as you moved from one part of the temple into another part of the temple. You know, like going up some steps or things like that. Um, there are 15 of them. Um, there used to be 15 steps between one court and another court, and so sometimes they, you know, it's for each step. Um, over the summer, I was introduced to the idea that these are the songs of what they used to, what they still call the diaspora, the people of God who are scattered out into the world. 
And I find myself really liking that idea that God's people are scattered out into the, the world. And we live looking for Jesus to come again, but that means that sometimes there's some discomfort and some tension and we live like aliens and strangers and there's a, um, we're not quite home yet type of feeling. And, uh, um, and there's a, a journeying. So as I've done some research, sometimes they call these um, the pilgrim songs. Not pilgrims as in, you know, American 1500s, 1600s, um, you know, but people who are on a journey, a pilgrimage, heading to a holy site. Does that sound like us? Heading to the new creation? Yeah. And... Um, as you read through these in Psalm 122, it talks about going to church. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that's bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And that's what we're doing. We're seeking the good of the people who come to the house of the Lord. Because it's a good and glad thing to be able to come and to worship. So thank you. God's blessings. If you're interested in helping in any of these capacities, let me know. Um, and we will be glad to get you connected with somebody who can, you know, kind of walk with that. Walk with you through that.